1: Today's tip is an excerpt from the Horses in the Morning Rutgers Equine Science Center Horse Health Report. There's a mouthful for you. Dr. Fugaro clears up some confusion about equine herpes virus and explains why it has so many names. And we'll get right to our tip after this important message from (laughs) EquestrianCollections.com. everybody coach jen here from the horse radio network and i am here with debbie from equestrian collections for the equestrian collections product of the week take it away debbie
2: (laughs) hi jen and thanks for allowing me the time to talk to your listeners this week i'm featuring the centaur creamed fly sheet with neck cover and you know this is the season to be buying and wearing fly sheets. The flies are coming out. It's finally warm here in the mid-Atlantic and um, everywhere, Um, and the flies are out. So I wanted to pick out a new type of fly sheet so that um, your uh, listeners would have uh, an opportunity to find out about the cream fly sheet with neck cover. The thing that makes this a little bit different is that that neck piece has a zipper. It zippers on, unlike some of the other ways that people, um, that the fly sheets have on. This one zippers on, and it's going to stay where it is put. Hmm. Uh, it also has a padding uh, right there at the withers. It has 70% of the UV rating, and that's due to the dense weave of this fabric. It's very tightly woven so that it keeps the uh, UV rays away from your horse with the moisture wicking, it makes it much more comfortable for your horse. It is a heavy duty material. It it doesn't rip like some. It has the hook and loop, um, you know, the Velcro type closures there in the neck. All in all, I think it's a really good new design. You can also buy it without the neck cover and you can buy the neck cover separately as well if you so choose. Wanted Mm. to let you know about that because it's fly season and time to cover them up. You can mix and match.
1: All right. Thanks a bunch, Debbie. Thank you.
3: And we are very lucky today to have Dr. Figaro on with us. Um, Dr. Figaro is a—I uh, mean—you're so unbelievably educated. I can't even give your uh, whole um, list behind your name. VMD. I appreciate
0: that, but I also don't a- feel that smart, so. <laughs> <laughs>
3: AZV is professor of equine studies and resident veterinary at, uh, veterinarian at Centenary College in New Jersey. Additionally, you are a professor at Rutgers in the animal science department and you've opened up the Mountain Point equine veterinary services a ambulatory practice. Where do you have time? I how do you have time to even sit and talk to us today?
0: Uh, I'm actually in between cases right now. They're holding the horse for me, waiting for me. Oh
3: my gosh, (laughs) you're so sweet. Well, let's get down to it. I know you got to go. Well, what are we going to talk about today?
0: So we're going to talk about uh, equine herpes virus, and there's a lot of confusion. It tends to come back into the uh, press and to everybody's uh, vantage point, uh, especially around the show season, particularly here in the Northeast in the, uh, the late spring and early summer. Um, the disease is actually called rhinopneumonitis because rhino means n- of the nose and pneumonitis of the lungs. Uh, so it is a, uh, it's not primarily, but there is a respiratory component to this disease, um, and it's a herpes virus. Um, and just like every other herpes virus, whether human or animal, the challenges with herpes viruses is um, they can actually go dormant and have a latent phase, and the best example is the uh, cold sores on your lips. Um, usually when periods of... You're, you're a carrier of this virus. You always have it. You never get rid of it. And then when you go through periods of stress, the virus kind of recrudesces. You also have the potential to shed that um, and share that with your, uh, your colleagues, uh, so to speak, and the same thing happens uh, in the horse world.
3: Did you say that people spread herpes to their colleagues? Was
0: that? <laughs> I did Would
3: that be a little nice? <laughs> <laughs> we'll
0: I was referring to the I was referring to the ones on their mouth.
3: Oh, right. No, I that's... I got that. I got that. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure that goes for the colleagues. Okay. So, what um what does this mean for for horse owners? Uh, knowing yeah. that if you're a carrier of the disease as a human, uh, and um, you you'll never get rid of it. What does that mean for horses?
0: Yeah, I, I, where the confusion occurs is that um. It, it, there's a lot of terms that people are throwing around out there basically there have been about nine strains that have been identified in the equine herpes virus complexes and so when you look in the literature here they talk about these numbers and it's one through nine uh, the ones that most people hear about in the horse world are one three and four or probably the more common ones are one and four um, and those categories are, are down according to their clinical symptoms and um, EHV-1 has actually three subsets. It has an abortion uh, component, a respiratory form, and a neurologic form, which I'll talk about the neurologic form in a minute here. Um, EHV-2 has a respiratory form. Uh, 3 actually has a, it's a venereal disease in horses. Um, and EH-4 is a respiratory component uh, or a respiratory disease, but it occasionally will have a neurologic component as well. And EH, uh, EHV-5 is one that's a respiratory one that we see primarily in foals. Um, EHV-1 is the one that most people um, are most concerned about, are the ones that they uh, are, are worried about. Um, in any breeding farm, you're always very concerned about it because of the uh, abortion potential on those. It can happen in late-stage abortions uh, anywhere in the second to third trimester. Um, you certainly have respiratory forms. Um, and then the neurologic form, it, it winds up getting another term called equine herpes virus myeloencephalopathy, or you'll see EHM as in Mike. Um, and that particular part of the disease causes inflammation of the blood vessels in the brain and spinal cord. Uh, and so you wind up getting neurologic diseases that go along with it.
3: So it sounds the, like this disease affects every single end of the horse inside
0: and out. <laughs> It can, and it's funny that most, um, they say that anywhere from two to five years of age, they've been exposed, most horses have been exposed, at least to the respiratory form. And the unfortunate part is that immunity, even if they were to contract the disease, the immunity is not lifelong. And even after contracting the disease, you only expect immunity to go for about three to six months. So that's where the challenge occurs, and that's why, uh, we're so stringent, and especially the shows and, and the veterinarians are really um, encouraging people to vaccinate. And in some cases, it almost appears as if we're over-vaccinating. Um, but in periods of stress, and when you think about shows, um, there's trailering, there's uh, occupation, there's, you know, stress of the, of the job itself. And, mm-hmm. uh, and when you bring a large conglomeration of horses into a confined area, um, you certainly increase your risks.
3: Now, the, there's the vaccine for, I know we get the flu rhino shot, and that obviously uh, covers the one aspect of it. Does this cover one through nine? I mean, what's the, what's the vaccine most of,
0: do? Yeah, most of the vaccines that are out there are, are focused on EHV 1 and 4, and okay. particularly the ones that are designed for pregnant mares are EHV, usually they're EHV 1 only. Um, so the rhino component of your flu rhino is, is this rhinopneumonitis. Um, okay. And there are specific vaccines that are only approved for pregnant mares, and then other ones uh, that can be used in all species and or all ages. And uh, usually recommendations vary a little bit, but anywhere from three months of age to six months of age um, is when you would first start your vaccination protocols and fulls.
3: Okay, gotcha. And then um, not a side question. People, humans obviously get herpes virus as well. And there's no but they're screwed. Like there's no vaccine for people.
0: Uh, No, there aren't. And they do play around with and we we do as well. I shouldn't say play around with but we we use antivirals (laughs) in some of those cases. Um, Not as used as frequently as we see in in people and antivirals it's, it's kind of a timing component you have to do it at the very early onset um, I mean the biggest concern with with herpes in the horse world is is it's very contagious and it's spread through aerosolization so nasal droplets nose-to-nose contact literally you touching one horse's nose and going to the next one either with a bridle or say if it's a veterinarian with a twitch or something like that you can spread that very very quickly Um, and also aborted fetuses, placenta, uh, tissues, and fluids from that location all will be highly, highly contagious of this virus. Um, And so one of the things that we really try to implement is biosecurity and the prevention of this spread. And if you have any indication of a horse that has these clinical signs, then you have to strictly enforce biosecurity measures. Uh, And unfortunately, sometimes... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Sometimes the first no. the right. index base is always the tough one to find. It's usually the second and third one that you start putting two and two together.
3: Uh, so um, as a uh, veterinarian, when you are in a stressful situation for the horse such as a horse show do you use any extra special biosecurity measures or i mean do you disinfect the twitch from horse to horse we do
0: and certainly if there are those suspicions on things we will actually go and change clothing put on protective barriers things like that and, and yes absolutely um, we have to do, that. and it's not just for herpes. It, it strangles, and any other influenza, all the other uh, respiratory diseases play a role from that standpoint. That's your chemical shower. And, and the, the challenging part, again, on this disease, again, like you said, even in humans, is you can be a carrier and not know it, and that's both human and horse, and can spread that around. Um, and then, it's again when these stressful episodes come up, is, is when it, um, you know, kind of recrudesces. Um, And one of the things that we can do, so the the big indication, this is why you'll see in a lot of the show requirements uh, entry, they'll ask for health certificates and they ask specifically for temperature, rectal temperature records. Um, And a lot of the shows have either asked that from veterinarians. Now, more recently, they're asking for trainers or owners to certify that their, their horse has not had an elevated rectal temperature. Fever is the first clinical sign. And it usually happens within 24 to 48 hours particularly in the neurologic form Um, now the question is is how many horses do I see with fevers and there are a fair number of those especially in the Northeast this time we're starting to see a lot more of the tick-borne tick diseases and so we Mm -hmm. tend to see a lot more fevers do I think they're all herpes virus I mean it's lower on my list but it's on my list of differentials there
3: Wow just more stuff you guys can be scared of, uh, you know, as horse owners. Things to be a paranoid about. So is there, say I've got a horse and I'm not sure, this happens to me all the time. So a horse shows up, somebody gives me a horse and they're, they're like, here you go. And they don't know the vaccine history. They don't know anything. What is the first thing I do? Do I rush it to get vaccinated? Do I keep it separate? Well, what would they- you do?
0: In the ideal world and I'm saying ideal world because I know what the reality of things are is you know the incubation period for these diseases most of them are anywhere from 10 to 14 days so if, if you had the ability to slowly reintroduce a horse into any facility would be to isolate them um, and keep them away from the herd on things because once you get through that initial stressful period because that's when they're going to be stressed and they have a higher incidence of shedding the disease um, you, you decrease your risk. So forget about medication-wise. That's a simple management tool you can do. Now, is that the reality? Of the most equine facilities probably not. Um, and so, a lot of people do require, and this is where a lot of the show is also recommending that people have vaccinated, particularly for, in this particular case, for uh, rhinopneumonitis, um, at three um, in a ninety-day interval, um, and that's when your highest. Um, I guess, protective barrier would be. Now, if you're not having any concerns and this is and you're just vaccinating your horses on the property, they're not coming and going, um, you know, six, every six months is certainly reasonable to do that. And that's where we usually also combine that in with the influenza vaccine as well, the flu rhino shot
3: well you know you've definitely given us a lot to think about and thank you so much for all the information i know you've got a horse standing in the cross ties right now waiting for (laughs) you to do god knows what to the poor creature i won't Uh, (laughs) but i say i just want to thank you so much for coming on and and letting us know uh fortunately all mine are vaccinated so this one's not going to cost me any money unlike the last time you came on so uh, i do appreciate it
1: thank you so much dr my
0: my pleasure and anytime happy to help
1: Well, that about does it. For links to the topics and guests on today's show, you can go to horsetipdaily.com and look up episode number 966, or you can use the search field at the top right-hand side of the home page and type in any topic or name that you like. You can have all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone or Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Download it today. It's quick. It's free. It's easy. This podcast has been made possible through the generous support of EquestrianCollections.com and listeners like you. To learn how to become an official auditor and qualify for cool auditor-only perks, you can go to horsetipdaily.com and click on the Become an Auditor banner at the center of the page. If you have a topic that you'd love to hear a tip on, you can email me, Jennifer, at horseradionetwork.com, with tips in the subject line.